Welcome everyone to today's devotion. We're in John chapter 6, which is, I believe, the longest chapter of John, certainly one of the the longest chapters of John, and um, uh, there's a lot going on. So what I want to do with what we've done with each of our um, chapters so far, we've looked at the first five, of course, is to continue the Logos Life Light Lamb motif. Uh, because this chapter is full of it, and it's 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 almost like an early climactic chapter, in that a lot of the themes introduced in the first five chapters um, are are uh, uh, emphasized here in chapter six. So uh, some of what we met with the woman at the well shows up here, um, and Nicodemus shows up here. Um, um, you know, all, all those themes. So I want to do that. Let me just briefly say, uh, everyone, thank you yesterday, Trunk or Treat. Thanks for helping out, supporting us, whether you got candy, volunteered, or showed up. So thank you for that. Uh, great success, and uh, uh, we were able to serve a lot of people. With that, let's let's start here in chapter 6. This is, of course, the story of the feeding of the 5,000. That miracle outside the resurrection is the only miracle recorded in all four Gospels. But as you'll see here, John goes in a very different direction than uh, the Synoptic Gospels. John has a theological uh, mo- motive here. Not that the others don't, but that it's clearly theological. He, he, he wants to make it clear that based on this event and the uh, events and teachings around it, uh, that you would know who Jesus is. John, is. John pounds that message very hard. So verse 2, you have a large crowd following him. Why? Because they saw the signs Jesus had done with the sick. And we've seen some of those signs. You can go back to uh, chapter uh, 3 to, to uh, see uh, one of those, or even chapter 2 to turn water into wine. We, 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 we've seen several of these signs. Remember, John doesn't use the word miracles. He uses the word signs because these signs are pointing you to who Jesus is. And, and the final climatic sign is, of course, the resurrection. And so he'll conclude his gospel saying these signs have been written so you may believe Jesus is the Son of God. So notice in verse 4, the uh, the Passover, the Feast of the Jews, was at hand. Now, again, Passover is important. Why? Because Jesus is the true and better Lamb. Right? So you go all the way back to chapter 1 when John the Baptist declares, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And this theme of the Passover, it, I believe it showed up in chapter 3, if my memory serves me right, and here it is showing up again. Now notice that it's not developed. Right, John doesn't to say, "Hey, it's Passover." This tells you who Jesus is, but rather he is emphasizing the Passover over and over again, so that uh, when we get to the Passover, uh, we know exactly what he's been doing. In fact, we get a very clear hint of this. When we'll see that Jesus is, uses language of "eat my body, drink my blood," that sort of language, uh, and that uh, the bread and the uh, lamb has, has come, that is Passover language, and and we've already seen him speak of Moses. We saw at the end of chapter five. You say you follow Moses, yet you reject me, yet it was me whom Moses wrote about. Well, when Moses wrote of the Passover, it was of Jesus he had in mind. That's Jesus' claim here. So this reference, though it seems like it's just a a setting reference, is actually an important theological reference. The Passover was at hand. 
become and 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 the Passover is at hand with the death and resurrection of Jesus. So verse four, uh, the Passover feast uh, was was at hand. Lifting up his eyes, he saw a large crowd coming towards him. And Philip asked, "Where are we to buy bread so these people can eat?" Now we're going to do some skipping because I've looked at this passage in some detail on our Wednesday night studies of the uh, disciples. Uh, so you can look at our study of Philip and Andrew for for all of that. Verse eight, one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, "There is a boy here who has a five um, uh, five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they among so many? So this is the, the little boy's lunch. Five loaves of bread, fish, right? Um, so um, basically he went to Captain D's, got some fish and hush puppies, okay? Um, now this small boy's lunch is supposed to feed uh, not just 5,000 people, it's 5,000 men, but it's men, women, and children. And the estimates range um, from like... Um, 8,000 to 20 or 30,000. It's it's really difficult to know for sure uh, exactly how many have been served here. Um, so verse 11, Jesus took the loaves when he had given it. He distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish, as much as they wanted, and they eat in their field. He told the disciples, gather up the leftover fragments and nothing may be lost. They gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet who's come to the world. Notice what Jesus does here is he takes the row of the head of the house in distributing uh, the Passover meal. Right, this would be the job of of the head of the house. He he would break the bread. He would distribute the unleavened bread. Uh, he 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 would he would feed the, his his family here. Right, this is what you would do at the Passover. Jesus is now doing it. Yet what is different is that Jesus, as he did with the water and into wine, he takes a little boy's lunch and he turns it into a buffet for everyone there. And remember, um, these people aren't used to just eating to their full. Um, poverty was a very uh, 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 burdensome reality at this time. So it isn't just that people ate of the meal, but they ate an abundance of of of, uh, uh, of, of food. And Jesus is the giver. So in chapter 2, he, he provides drink. In chapter 4, he provides drink. But in chapter 6, he provides food. Now he'll reference drink later, right? Uh, uh, because of of the of, of the wine, bread, Passover motif. But here we see Jesus, uh, the Lord of the feast. We saw in chapter two is now feeding everybody in a large multitude, and the people say, "Truly, this is indeed the prophet who is coming to the world." So notice this isn't just a prophet; this is the prophet. The one in whom Moses in Deuteronomy said that one will come after him who is greater than he. And this theme of Jesus as a true and greater Moses has been developed quite a bit. We've not spent forever on it because we're, we're trying to develop the Logos life light lamb sort of stuff. But uh, go back to the end of chapter 5 again where Jesus clearly references Moses saying that I'm, I'm, I'm the one that Moses wrote of. Well, now the people get it. They get that this is who Jesus is. And Jesus responds strangely by uh, fleeing. He, he, he leaves the scene um, because even though the people recognize him as prophet, they, they, they don't understand really what that means theologically. And so we get in verses 16 to 21 an interruption of, of 
of the uh, narrative. So if you took out this passage, um, the, the story would flow. We saw this Wednesday night with the story of Judas and his hanging, that, that at times the Bible interrupts a narrative in order to emphasize both the narrative that is interrupted and the one that is interrupting the, the narrative. So what we get is Jesus walking on water. Uh, verse 18, the sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat. They were frightened, but he said to them, it is I, do not be afraid. Now, what do we do with this? Well, notice what we've got so far. We've got Jesus as Logos doing what he did in chapter 2, right? Instead of turning water into wine, he, he, he turned a little boy's lunch into a feast, right? So it's a similar story. It's not the same, but very similar themes you have here. So this is Logos, an image of, of Logos. Now, uh, after this scene of, uh, at the sea, we're going to get life language. I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will have every, eternal life. Well, what we have here is indeed um, light imagery. Notice that they go out at night. In fact, verse 17 says, It was now dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. So here they are uh, in the middle of the Sea of Galilee, and it is pitch dark. And the seas start to get rough. The, it's, it's, the storm is coming and, and they're having a hard time to, to stay afloat and they're, they're too far away from the shore to simply paddle back and they can't just abandon ship and swim back. No, they, 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 are, they are lost here. They are stuck here. They are on the brink of death and this is why they're afraid. So notice what you have here. You have darkness and death and what changes that? that? You have light. They see Jesus coming. Well, how did they see him? It's, it's dark. They see Jesus uh, coming to them, walking on water. And then what is it that, that, that Jesus says, don't be afraid, it is I. And he calms the sea. Now, this is what the Logos does. Why? Because we saw in chapter 1, he is the maker of heaven and earth. And nothing that came into being didn't come into being unless he had created it. Thus, he is Lord over creation. He is Logos. So we see life and light language all in the context of the Passover is at hand. I think when you see this, you, you see just how beautifully written the Bible is and why John is, frankly, my, my favorite gospel. Because these themes keep popping up so, so well. Well, um, uh, they, they make it back to land. They're safe, all that. And, and then, starting in verse 22, we get the I'm the bread of life passage. And so people, uh, they're on the other end. People recognize uh, Jesus and, um, you know, they come and they, they want more, right? Their, their bellies aren't full anymore, right? So what do they want? They want more bread and fish. And Jesus says, verse 26, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of loaves. Notice what he's saying here is that you're driven by your appetites. Um, this is a theme we see throughout the Bible. We've talked about it quite a bit in these devotions. Going all the way back to the garden, right? It was the appetite that lured Adam and Eve into sin. So too, both physically, uh, food, and also spiritually. It is the appetites, desire, uh, 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 what, uh, lust and whatnot that, that lead us uh, towards disobedience and sin. Well, Jesus is saying, look, what you want is your appetites to be satisfied, not your soul to find rest, not your soul to find redemption. What you see in me is someone who will feed you a government program, not one who will save you. You see, as, as one of uh, my favorite writers would say, they'd rather be fed than fathered. 
Right? And you'll notice, if you know your Bible, this is the problem we see in the wilderness with the people of Israel. Right? Remember, whenever they get hungry, they want to go back to slavery. Why? Because there is an equation between appetites and slavery. We are driven by our appetites, whether it be towards actual food, look at the obesity crisis in America, or be towards more moral appetites, um, uh, sexual sin and uh, mindless entertainment and, and uh, lust for power and influence and, and, and wealth and whatever it might be. We are driven by our desires, our appetites. And Jesus says, you don't want salvation, you want simple food. Uh, that's, that's all you want. You don't want anything else at all. And so Jesus says, verse 27, do, the, do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. Notice chapter 4, he gives living water. Now he gives living bread. Why? Because he is life as Logos and as Lamb. Um, for on him God is the Father set his seal. Then they said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? Same question the woman asked in chapter 4. Jesus answered them, This is the work of God. You believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Um, now notice here, the simple message of Jesus is believe in the Logos life light lamb. All of that. Believe and you will be saved. You will be uh, at, at the feast of the lamb. Right in, in chapter two, you you will you will worship in spirit and truth, like like the cleansing of the temple, chapter two, or the uh, woman in chapter four. You will never thirst again, like the woman at the well. You'll never hunger again, like like the people here. And and though the world may seem dark, you will forever be uh, uh, in light, and, and and your way will be enlightened. Right. I mean, these themes show up over and again. And so, how do we get this logos life light lamb? We believe in the one whom the Father has sent. That's the message and the hope of, of John's gospel, his good news. But notice they say, look, okay, look, our fathers ate manna in the wilderness, is what it says. As it's written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. So they're saying, look, why are you throwing a big deal about not feeding us again? Isn't that what God the Father did to our forefathers in the wilderness? Why can't you do the same thing? If you really are the prophet, why can't you do something greater than Moses? And Jesus says, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, sir, give us this bread always. So you'll notice they're confusing the physical uh, or the spiritual with the physical, right? We've seen this through, throughout, and it'll keep that theme will keep popping up. But they're saying, look, what we want is the bread that came out of heaven. And Jesus is saying, I am that bread that comes out of heaven. And what I give you is more than, than what will fill your stomachs. But rather, I will fill your soul. That is what matters. I am the one who has come down. No one else has come down. No human incarnated has ever come down. But me, I am from the Father. And this leads, verse 35, the climactic phrase, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. I believe this is the first I am statement in John's gospel. I have to give that some thought, but, but I don't recall us discussing this. Um, so let's deal with it briefly. I'm sure we're, we've gone too long. That's okay. Take you a five-minute break and come back. But the I am statements are crucial to the theology of John's gospel. Crucial to the, to the theology. I am... Um, there's two ways to write I am in Greek, kind of like in English and in Spanish. You can say uh, in English, I am, two words. Or you can say I'm, one word. In Spanish, you can say yo soy, or you can say soy. They mean the same thing. In Greek, there's two ways. There's 
ego, I, a me, I am, or you can just simply say a me, I am, right, I am. Well, what the Jews did in, in, with the Greek language they were speaking is everyone said a me because there was only one ego, a me. There's only one I am, and that is the guy who spoke to Moses in the burning bush, which is the, um, um, the angel of the Lord. Go back to Exodus 3. Um, when Moses asked, okay, who should I tell him sent me? And he says, my name is I am that I am, right? Yahweh. Well, Jesus uses the language, borrowed that, egoe me is the Greek translation of the Old Testament there, Septuagint, uses egoe me twice there, I am that I am. And so that became a way of expressing the divine name. Jesus here doesn't say, a me, the bread of life, but rather, ego a me. He is the great I am. He has come down. Whoever comes to him will never hunger and will never thirst. Well, it goes down in verse 38. I've come down from heaven not to do my will, but the will of him who sent me. There's that theme ascending as the Father sent him. So he sends the disciples. Verse 40. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life. I raise him up the last day. This is the true meaning of the life language. As the Lord of life, he gives life. So he, he, he meets our real needs as the bread of life which lead to eternal life, which means when we believe in the bread of life, eternal life doesn't begin when we die, but the moment we believe. And so what we long for in heaven is a real reality for us, at the very least a, a clear, enjoyable foreshadowing. The joy we wait for there is the joy we have now. The love we long for there is the love we can possess now. The peace that we know is ours there is the peace we can have now. The hope and the satisfaction and the contentment, all of that are reality to those in faith in the bread of life. Well, we, we've got to move on. Verse 47. Truly I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. It's a good summary. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. You see, the bread isn't the life. It is who is the bread. Jesus is the bread. He gives life. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that uh, one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that come, came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for life of the world is my flesh. And so he'll say in verse 54, whoever feeds on my f flesh, drinks my blood as eternal life. I will raise him up in the last day. Remember, this is in the context of the Passover. Will you eat bread and drink wine. Jesus says, I am the true and better Passover lamb. You must eat of my body, drink of my blood. Now, there is no last supper uh, in John's gospel. What he does is he transplants that theology and he puts it here. It's still in the context of Passover. It's connected to the wilderness experience, but its climax is Christ, who is the true light, the true life, the true lamb. He is Logos. And this is where our theology of communion comes from. This is why it's an important ordinance of, of the church. Now, you can see why the early critics of Christianity uh, accused them of cannibalism, among other things, because of this drink my body, um, uh, drink my blood, eat my flesh language. But, of course, that would is, again, confusing the spiritual with, with the physical. Verse 58, this is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread of the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. That is to believe leads to eternal life. Well, people hear this and they know they're not going to get an extra meal. So they leave. Many just abandon Jesus. I know we think as Americans that 
you've you 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 got to build an audience to keep growing that audience. It's not Jesus' approach. Jesus' approach to reaching the world was through the twelve, not through the masses. Look, if you want to participate in Jesus's evangelistic strategy, it will be to invest in two or three people and disciple them to invest in two or three people. That's what Jesus did. He changed the world. We think in terms of massive crusades because we're Americans rather than the local discipleship because we are Christians. Well, Jesus then looks at the twelve and says, are you going to leave too? Um... And uh, so he says, do you want to go away as well? Verse 68, Simon Peter answered, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Notice, the signs demonstrate the truth of Jesus' words. Because if he is Logos as creator, his words are creative power. God did not conjure up spells to create the Son. He spoke the Son into existence. He spoke mankind into existence. So Peter gets it right here. We, we criticize Peter, but here he gets it right. Your words, not your miracles, are eternal life. So what you do with the Word of God really matters. Your words are eternal life. We have believed and have come to know you are the Holy One of God. You are Logos. Peter's confession is what John hopes is the reader's confession. Your words are eternal life, and we have come to believe and follow you as the Holy One of God. In chapter 6, a fantastic chapter, but it only gets better from here. Hope to see you guys tomorrow.